The whole place is in danger of meltdown because of staffing, budget and technology, even storm damage problems. That's according to a detailed study under the auspices of the National Academy of Public Administration. Here with more, former Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer, now with IBM, Margie Graves. Margie, good to have you with us, as always. Thank you, Tom. appreciate the opportunity to discuss this important issue. And just before we get into the details, just maybe outline exactly how this study came to be. It looks like the National Finance Center itself was reaching out for some badly needed help. That is correct. The USDA and the National Finance Center in particular reached out to NAPA. Uh, As you know, NAPA is chartered under Congress to be able to work with federal agencies on their most pressing issues and to bring the expertise of former federal executives uh, that are NAPA fellows to the table and be able to help the agencies with those issues and perhaps give them the opportunity to draw upon that expertise and to develop a plan for moving forward. And we should probably also review exactly for the uninitiated exactly what the National Finance Center does. Paychecks is a big part of it, but it's not the only thing they do there. No, the National Finance Center is part of the HRLOB structure that was put in place. It's part of the shared services approach that was instituted in the federal government and reinstituted and reconstituted with a memo out of OMB, which was done under my tenure and that of Suzette Kent, to reemphasize the importance of being able to take some of these back office functions and to automate them and deliver them in a manner that allows the entirety of the federal government to benefit. It results in reduction of cost. It results in the ability to have one center of gravity for some of these functions that is uh, very important and, and helps us in that execution. And you cite in that report the fact that they recovered and kept going through Hurricane Katrina, an event I remember. Uh, We had interviews on that very topic at that time. And so they have shown themselves to be resilient and effective over the decades, fair to say. That is correct. And not only effective, but I would say close to heroic in the way that the employees stepped up, have actually addressed their primary mission in moments of crisis, regardless of what was literally swirling around them and uh, and being able to to execute. So that is is uh, very much a, a hallmark of how NFC has operated. What's happened then? Well, I think that whenever you have a shared service, it has to be invested in and maintained over time or else, of course, there is technical debt that accumulates There are uh, people who leave the fold, and sometimes uh, they aren't replaced in a rapid manner. So there are always opportunities for investment and improvement, and it needs to be done on a consistent basis or else you get to a point where you are are, uh, kind of over the line in terms of the ability to deal with your customer, to deliver the service in an effective manner. That occurs slowly over time. It's not something that occurs overnight. And unfortunately, I think a lot of these back office capabilities are are uh, kind of short shrifted in lieu of probably more mission oriented or more crisis oriented investments that have to be made by an agency and also more favored by Congress because of the immediacy 
of the need. And sometimes these shared services don't get the kind of attention that they need. So the NFC has become, in some ways, the redheaded stepchild of the agriculture department? <laughs> well, it's not the agriculture's primary mission, obviously, but they have been the steward of this capability for some period of time. And they service a good portion of the federal government in a very important way. Nothing is more personal than getting your paycheck and getting your paycheck correctly and on time. And that is a very critical function within the federal government. Uh, there are other entities that provide those same kinds of service, DFAS, et cetera. And of course, they have their own challenges because I don't think this is a an issue that is simply USDA oriented. It is an issue that is ubiquitous across the federal government and shared services in general. And I think GSA is well aware of that as they try to manage the shared services ecosystem. We're speaking with Margie Graves. She's now with IBM. She's former Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer and one of the co-authors of the NAPA study on the National Finance Center. And one statement early on in the report says relationships, that is with Congress, with overseers, with funders, with other partners in the federal government, with leadership at USDA, have been allowed to deteriorate. Well, somebody allowed them to deteriorate. It sounds like intervening leadership between the good years and now have let the place kind of go to seed. Well, I think that they are challenged by some of the things that I talked about early on. Number one, when, when personnel leave and they're not replaced, there are either leadership gaps or, or there are actually gaps in execution. And when those things happen and couple that with the lack of investment in the IT infrastructure over time, that results in a deterioration of the actual service to the customer. And that customer becomes unhappy and the interaction between the service delivery provider and the customer also needs to be, I guess, nurtured along the way. And that is one of the things that we emphasize in the report is that the, the conversation and the transparency with the customer, people are generally at least somewhat forgiving if they know exactly where you are in terms of uh, your ability to address the issues that they are bringing up and the ability to be able to create that, one of the primary recommendations we make, and I think it should probably be the first one out of the box, is that the customer experience, both for the customer of, of the payroll system and also the, the uh, internal employees that have to deliver the payroll, is going to be enhanced by becoming a data-driven organization. And to to that end, you are conducting surveys and constant conversation and interaction with both in order to gain the landscape, the, lay, the, you know, the lay of the land, and then to make a plan to take specific action against those complaints. And when people see you actually doing that, as I said at the very beginning, they become more forgiving and they become more of your partner sure. in this journey as opposed to adversarial. Now, you can't make good music if your violin is cracked and the strings are broken. So the IT infrastructure that needs to be updated, that seems to be central to all of the other things happening, because if you don't have the infrastructure to deliver, then intentions won't get you very far. You know, Tom, that's correct. 
USDA and NFC is not the only shared service where these issues exist. What we need to be cognizant of is that it's sort of like uh, not painting your house until the wood rots, and then unfortunately you have to replace the wood and paint the house. So uh, this has occurred over time. As I say, there are other there are reasons why investments don't get made, and there may be priorities that land in front of the investment in these back office capabilities that occur. That said, we're at a point where we have got to make at least the stabilization investment in the IT infrastructure, i.e. bringing up some modern capabilities into the equation, doing some automation, getting the most current versions of the types of software and systems that are in their ecosystem, and, and getting to a point where we, when I use the word stabilize, that we are on an even keel with our customer and our employees. The employees feel good about being able to deliver. The customers feel good about being able to receive an effective service. In that first phase, you're still planning for the longer term because, of course, you have to invest in a larger way in actual modernization. And modernization initiatives are not cheap. They have to occur over time and they have to be supported by Congress. So the whole time that you are stabilizing and developing these plans and getting the right personnel in place, you are delivering small increments of, of capability. You're improving your relationship with your customer and your employees. And most importantly, you are proving to your congressional leadership and to your agency leadership that the delivery is improving. Sure. And generally, when that occurs, you start to develop a trust level that allows people to have an open conversation about gaining more investment. And the report says that there will be serious consequences if nothing is done immediately. So it sounds like this is pretty dire. Well, yes. I mean, if you think about it, you're serving over 600,000 employees in terms of delivering their paychecks. And it's not like there's a place to migrate or that there's anything immediately available where you could offload or or uh, transition or anything of this nature. Anything that would be developed over time will take multiple years. So it's not as if there is a uh, an off-ramp an easy off-ramp in any way, shape, or form. Because as I stated, a lot of the other service providers have their own issues that they're dealing with. And also, I do believe that if we do this right, and if we follow the, you know, develop the plan, the vision, and follow the plan, the vision, and create that trust as we go along, that there, there is a little bit of runway, not much, but a little bit of runway for improvement and each step along that journey, you're building that coalition. Because you state that the NFC current staff does have a plan. They're aware of the issues and they have a plan to, as you say, get CX and EX better to stabilize their infrastructure and to invest in the long term. So would it be fair to say the recommendations of NAMPA are act on that plan and Congress make sure they have the funding and the backing they need? Yes, I think there are actions that are, have been taken within USDA over a period of time. This did not, as I say, occur overnight. And they have been aware of the challenges that we outline in the report. 
the problem is, is that you have to have alignment of, among multiple entities and stakeholders in order to move forward and address it. So uh, their, their uh, ability to be able to lay out the plan, to state the business case, to obtain the funding from multiple sources, including internally from their own leadership, from their customers with that trust that they're building, and then ultimately longer term from Congress itself. It's a multifaceted approach that needs to be executed with some precision. There's not a whole lot of time to waste, but we need to to have that conversation and discuss that business case and get everybody aligned in order for us to execute effectively. Margie Graves of IBM is former Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer and co-author of the NAPA study on the National Finance Center. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. And we'll post this interview along with a link to that NAPA report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees, joined Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to share how his upbringing in rural Alabama eventually propelled him to the forefront of thousands of union members raising a collective voice. After years of leadership with both the largest federal employee union and as a pastor, Everett Kelly reflects on his deep-rooted values of integrity and hard work. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm joined by Mr. Everett Kelly, National President of the American Federation of Government Employees. Everett, welcome, and thank you for being here. Shane, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's mine. You first joined AFGE in 1981 during what eventually became your 30 years of service at Anniston Army Depot. We're now more than 40 years past 1981, and you've been the union's national president since 2020. How's your decades-long involvement with AFGE impacted the way you view your role now as the union's leader? The time that I spent as local president, I simultaneously spent that same time as a pastor in Alabama. I like to say that this was my training ground because as I was entering into the role of unionism, I was also entering into ministry. And so I see my role even as the union leader as ministry. It's never an understatement because this is what I believe. I believe that if you love people and show people that you love them, people will follow you. My business is in the business of growing people, uh, and that's what I do. And And I think that my training as a pastor and as a union uh, leader has given me the ability to really, you know, uh, grow people because I feel like that, you know, it's my responsibility both as a union leader and as a pastor to ensure that people have a livable wage. It's also uh, my responsibility to ensure that people are treated fair with dignity and respect on the job. And I think that goes in both uh, arenas. So, so I've seen this, you know, as ministry, as I've grown through the four decades of leading people. Putting those two together is amazing. AFGE handles a massive array of issues and topics of importance to feds across many departments and agencies. What is it like being at the forefront of all those moving parts, and how do you manage it all? 
Well, first of all, let me give kudos to my staff, okay? Uh, because it's just no way that I could manage all of this work and all the moving parts by myself. But I have an excellent staff that always makes sure that I'm prepared and that I'm ready. But it's exciting. It's exciting to be out in the forefront, you know, uh, bringing people to the realization that they have something to fight for. But again, I cannot, and please understand when I say I cannot, it's, it's, it's what I truly believe. I cannot do it without a good, strong staff. Uh, and I tell anybody that, but I enjoy fighting for the cause. I enjoy standing in front of a group of AFG members, calling them to action, and then standing back and watching that action come to fruition. Because I know that I'm not the one that's doing it, okay? They're the one that's doing it. I'm merely casting a vision, right? And I enjoy casting a vision and then watching a vision come to fruition. And it's the staff and the members that get that done. As CEO at, at WEPA, I completely and totally understand that. We rely on them. It's not Absolutely. just nice to have. We rely on Absolutely. them. Absolutely. As AFGE president, you often speak at union rallies and other events widely attended by federal employees. What's it like to experience that direct connection to employees? And how does that influence your leadership style? You know, that gets me excited, okay? To be standing in front of a group of AFGE leaders get me excited. To hear the words, who are we, and the chants that come back that says AFGE gets me excited. It gets my motor uh, running, if you will. And it's exciting to look at them and see the motivation in their faces when they're fighting for a cause. And, and, and all of us come together and fight uh, in solidarity, fight as one, raise one voice, you can't explain the feeling. You just know that it's right. You know, I just know that it's right when I'm standing there and I feel this. And I never fail to say thank you again because I'm the one that merely cast the vision. They are the ones that get the work done. And so when I see them out there ready to go and that call to action goes out, and then I see them really begin to march on that uh, initiative. It's an energy that I cannot explain. I can explain it. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> um, de describe how your personal background and upbringing folds into how you function as a leader. You know, understanding that I was born in the Deep South. I was born in a little small town in Goodwater, Alabama, population 1,292 today. Born to parents that, and I hope I don't offend anybody, and I've got to quit saying this, but, but I was born to a set of parents that, believed and trusted in God. And that began to establish who I was. I began to trust God myself in everything that I do. I, I trust God even in this situation as a union leader because my parents taught me to believe in uh, the Bible. And with that came do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. In other words, treat people right. Treat people with respect, right? do what's right. It taught me, you know, about integrity, right? It taught me about being honest, you know, and that's what's needed in the role of a leader of this union. It, it, it's, it's needed 
Uh, and, you know, I try to portray that. I try to portray a person of honesty and a person of integrity. And so being in the Deep South, you know, you, you, you just learn those things. And that's what has helped me uh, throughout my path as a union leader. And it's always nice, that whole approach, because you don't have multiple approaches with different people or different sets of different tasks, different energy. It's it's always straightforward, yes. honest, here's the truth. Yes. And it's it's easy. Yes. Right? Yes. It's a lot easier than having multiple personas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's one piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself when you were starting your career? You know, I don't know you asked for one, but I'm I'm gonna have to elaborate on two. Yeah, if that's yeah. okay. Number one, I would explain the urgency of integrity a lot sooner than what I did, right? Because to me, Integrity is not necessarily what you see others do or what others see you do, but integrity to me is what you do even when no one is looking. And so I I would really begin to stress that importance more so at an earlier state in my leadership role rather than the latter part. Okay, I begin to stress that more now, but I wish I had began to do that more at the earlier states in my uh, role. Secondly, I would tell myself to always, and I'm going back to my roots, always work hard and don't ever accept no as an answer, right? Because I just believe that if you want it bad enough, if you want to achieve it, you can. It's all about the amount of work you put into it, right? And the and the amount of faith you have that it can be accomplished. So when I look at AFGE, and its membership, and where we were four or five years ago, and where we are today, that's a reminder that you can do whatever you want to do if you put your mind to it and work hard enough. And one question that's always kind of interesting at, at the end of our time together is, is there one person, you mentioned your parents before, mm-hmm. um, is there one person or maybe more than one who really inspired you when you were younger that you might even think back on today. It was my grandmother, you know, with the understanding that when and when I was born, right, as I said, I was born in the Deep South. My father worked extremely hard. We didn't have a whole lot. You know, my, I had 12 siblings. And so when I was born, I was very sick. As a matter of fact, the doctor said I wouldn't live to be 16 years old. The doctor said I wouldn't ever hold a job. But my grandmother, would always teach me how to pray. And she taught me about faith. And it is prayer and faith that has allowed me to be standing here today. Suppose I've been dead 50 years ago, but I'm 66 years old now. And it's all because of my faith and my belief and my prayer life. And I believe that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing all of it with us, Everett. And really appreciate you being on the show today. Pleasure is mine. And this is Shane Canfield. We'll see you next time on Lessons in Leadership. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.